Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Cloudy skies and rain, depending on where you are. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, it's a problem. Street racing in Atlanta. You can lock people up over and over again. They get bonded out. Right now, the courts aren't open, so that's not even happening. You can find people. But I do think that the uh, big prize is the vehicles themselves. Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore talks about the challenges and efforts to crack down on the illegal activity. But first, as mentioned, it's a raining and a lot due to Hurricane Sally and the storm's residual effects. From the National Weather Service in Peachtree City, he's the man of the hour, meteorologist Cal Theme. We have a flash flood watch in place for portions of northeastern Georgia, um, mostly for the higher elevations um, and, and going into the uh, Georgia and South Carolina border. Uh, we do have a few flash flood warnings that are also issued for portions of the far eastern part of the state uh, where they've been receiving heavy rain. Um, and are expected to, to possibly get a, uh, another round of heavier rain later on. And in case you're wondering, a flash flood watch means... When we issue a flash flood watch, we are expecting flash flooding conditions to be possible. Usually a flash flood watch is what we will issue first. Uh, it is to try to get our, the public and our partners prepared for the inevitability of heavy rain that could cause some flooding issues. Flash flood warnings are issued when we believe uh, flooding conditions are imminent or already occurring. Uh, usually that's issued as the heavy rain is either uh, directly moving in or has already been occurring. Uh, usually our warnings mean that we are experiencing direct impacts versus just the possibility of seeing impacts. Again, meteorologist Kyle Theme from the National Weather Service in Peachtree City. Now, at this time in the Atlanta area, tens of thousands of people are without power. Several streetlights on the west side of town were out. Trees are down and some streets are flooded. In other parts of the country, the storm is even more severe. Hurricane Sally is now a depression and has brought floodwaters and down power lines to Florida and Alabama. That happening yesterday. At least one person is dead in Alabama and one is missing. In other news, the leader of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention right here in Atlanta says face masks are the nation's, quote, best defense against the coronavirus. During a congressional hearing yesterday, Dr. Robert Redfield suggested they could even be more effective than an eventual vaccine. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. And if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine is not going to protect me. This face mask will. Now, Dr. Redfield says it could also be well into next year before a potential coronavirus vaccine is widely available. And at this time, 6,419 Georgians have reportedly died due to the coronavirus. And the State Department of Public Health reports there are 299,056 cases here in the state. There are 26,884 hospitalizations, and of those, 4,912 are ICU admissions. This, of course, is always according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And finally, some pizza news. The popular pizza delivery company Papa John's is moving its global headquarters from Kentucky to Atlanta. The company also plans to add an additional 200 jobs during this expansion. Uh, Papa John's Human Resources, Marketing, Customer Experience, and Diversity and Inclusion Departments will be relocated to this new location. The Atlanta headquarters plans to open by next summer. Free pizza for everybody. I don't know. I just made that up. This is Closer Look. (music) 
Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. They're called car meetups, street racing, drag racing, actually all of the above. And according to the following video posted on YouTube, it's part of a movement. The last one I went to was so insane that the cops couldn't even get to the cars. So we were on 85 South right before Georgia Tech. And there was probably a good solid 1,500 to 2,000 cars packed all the way to the grass so the cops couldn't even get around them. Camaro doing donuts under the bridge in the middle of Interstate 85 in downtown Atlanta, which is unheard of. That's, that's, that's making history for, for people who like wild, crazy stuff in Atlanta. I think that, that it's just it's evolving into something that's, I think, a little bit more out of control than I want to be involved in. I, mean, I think it's really cool because I used to be a street slider and drifter and whatnot, but it's turned into a what they call a movement. I don't know what the message is, but they're trying to do something, and they're doing a really good job of pissing a lot of people off in Atlanta. I know that. I actually was introduced through a customer of mine to the Pink, the the, the man who runs the show, because he knows I was a big deal with 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 Vinwicky with. Uh, you know, some of the other YouTube guys we've done stuff with. He says, I want to introduce you to this so you can help us uh, advance this movement that we're trying to produce on Atlanta. Hmm. Wow. That was uploaded on YouTube back in June under the VinWiki account. A longtime street racer talking about this new style of street racing and meetups and how it's kind of annoying, I guess. Well, listen, street racing is not new, but let's be clear, it is illegal. It's a problem here in Atlanta, Cobb County, DeKalb. According to state law enforcement officials, it's a problem, period. There have been injuries and there have been deaths linked to street racing. Spectators who gather have also been injured. Well, recently, the Atlanta City Council voted to fine not just the drivers, but listen, passengers and all those who gather. But is there anything else that can be done? Joining me now to talk about all this is Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore. President Moore, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Rose. Uh, what you make of that? Wow. Um, and I will just also make a finer point. Not only is this in Atlanta, the metropolitan Atlanta area, but this is happening across the country. I've had discussions with some of my colleagues in other cities, and it's mm-hmm. happening there as well. You have been a member of city council for a, a while now. Have you all had this problem before in the past? Sure, there's always been street racing. Um, Moreland Avenue was always the place where there were many complaints and that's gone on for decades. I remember when they were doing drifting over at the Turner Field and we had to try to put a halt to that. It was keeping neighbors up, but never at the magnitude that we're seeing now. We also have dealt with uh, more recently the ATVs and off-road bikes who have not gone away, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so they're out there as well. But now the cars are involved. And it's, uh, as the gentleman that you talked to described, you know, hundreds, and as he's described, thousand, a thousand or more cars uh, that converge on locations. Also in that YouTube clip, if you watch the whole 11-minute video clip, he also talks about how they advertise these through social media, and there's sort of a code, and so folks know where to go for these these street races. Let me ask you this. Is there another, is there something that's missing that you all need to add? Well, as with the ATVs and off-road, I sought to understand it more, so I'd love to get a copy of that clip so I can hear for myself. But the police department, I think, is evolving as the situation gets more and more uh, out of hand. And they monitor social media as well. And I believe they know that the police are monitoring them. And so they're finding uh, codes, as you say, or other ways to communicate with each other so that the police department doesn't know where they're going. And one thing people may not realize is, you know, everybody complains about, oh, it's in my neighborhood or they're on my street. But the reality is there are in many neighborhoods and on many streets at the same time, which makes it very difficult uh, for the police. We do have some dedicated crews that are doing it, but if they're um, blocking intersections or speeding through a particular time, uh, part of town, and there are four different groups, 
And it's not just in Buckhead, in Midtown, it's all over the city. Mm -hmm. They're in four quadrants of the city. It makes it very difficult to have enough police presence to be able to deal with it. You may have two or three police cars and you have hundreds of uh, street racers. Well, let's talk about that. A couple of years ago, the Los Angeles Police Department launched their own special task force. Is that something you think that would work for Atlanta police? Well, that's happening too. So people need to understand that the police department is working hand in hand with the state patrol because police officers in Atlanta, uh, we have a no chase policy. So state patrols are helpful because they can do that chasing. There are uh, traffic units as well as apex units that the chief has dedicated specifically towards um, the, the street racers. So uh, we're doing that in a way. Um, there may, you know, continue to co find more um, coordinated ways or more finer points, but they are. And I, I'm not going to necessarily say what they're doing for <laughs> because they're listening, but uh, they are doing their best to try to coordinate it. Again, when you have hundreds and hundreds of cars, um, it makes it difficult to catch everyone. But arrests are being made. What are you hearing from constituents? Oh, more, <laughs> more and more complaints. Uh, and every council member at the last public safety committee, the chair, as well as each, probably each and every council member is experiencing this in their district. And they are calling their council members because they're being awoken at two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, they're hearing this noise. They're not sure where it's coming from. Uh, so, I just want really to get the message across to people that this is happening everywhere. So when they run them from say the dump at Buckhead, that's a good location they like to go to, they'll leave there and go somewhere in Midtown or that group will leave and go somewhere on the south side of town. Understand that it's not just one group. Mm -hmm. If it was just one group, I think it would be easier to follow them and contain them and disrupt their behavior. When you have three or four groups simultaneously doing this in different parts of the city at the same time, it makes it very difficult. And, you know, we only have so many police resources. And right now, what they've been able to do is disrupt them. As soon as they see the police, they take off. Do you think then it's time for a conversation with state officials, state law enforcement, to see how they can help? State law enforcement is working hand in hand with the Atlanta Police Department. So they are teaming up and working together. And I hope that that collaboration continues. So that is, people keep saying that, but it is, is happening, it's taking place right now. I've gotten calls from state officials. Uh, I'm gonna be in conversation with them, trying to brainstorm ways that state law may be changed. Because I think, you know, you can lock people up over and over again, they get bonded out. Right now the courts aren't open, so that's not even happening. You can find people. But I do think that the uh, big prize is the vehicles themselves. Mm -hmm. People put a lot of money in these vehicles. Now I'm understanding some of the vehicles are rented. We may need to find a way to deal with the rental industry, but I think that we need to target the cars. The interesting thing was uh, I recently said that, and you know, there's a lot of effort of people not wanting people to be arrested and go to jail. So. You know, I'm talking about targeting the vehicles, and I found it interesting when I posted it on social media, people jumped on me for wanting to take the vehicles. So, you know, I don't know how people think that we're going to enforce it, but there has to be consequences for violating the law. Otherwise, people are going to continue to do it. Other than the idea that came up with the ATVs, uh, people want a park or designated a area. Or Mm -hmm. And I say to those people, fine, uh, you take the effort and get that coordinated, find the land and work that, that effort. But um, that's not something that's high on my priority. That was my next question, because there were some community leaders that I talked to, and they thought it would be a good idea if the city worked with these street racers or those organizers to find a designated area where they could do the donuts and the spin outs and all of that. And, and I don't know where you can find an area for actual street racing, um, but you're saying that is not something that you are. Well, it's not my priority. And the, and I say to people have at it because first of all, you got to find the property, whether it's city owned or privately owned. 
And then you've got to find it so far away from residents that people aren't disturbed by it because frankly, these mufflers that they're using on that, people can hear them a quarter mile away or more. And um, I, I can't see any neighborhood that's gonna want people finding, coming through their neighborhood, getting to a location. So you've got that, that part as well. Where in the city would you put it? It really needs to be way out in the country somewhere where it, the noise wouldn't disturb other people. And then there's liability issues. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the city would want the liability of being the owner. Maybe someone can get some of the entertainers or people who have means who might want to invest in that. And if they're able to find the location, then the city um, would only have to be consulted in terms of whether the neighborhood or the area and the permitting. But I don't see the city taking on the liability. And so to be clear, right now, anyone who is in violation or found to be in violation, whether it's the driver, a passenger, spectator, or an organizer, they are all going to be charged, fined. What, what's the ordinance here? What does that ordinance say? Well, let me go back. So first of all, there are already reckless driving and other offenses that the police department are arresting people on. The council did pass an ordinance that would target those who participate, uh, which could be spectators, passengers, etc. I'm not sure that we've arrested anyone on there. Uh, there has been some concern about the constitutionality of arresting uh, bystanders and that kind of thing. But my monitoring of the situation is mostly it has been the drivers that have uh, been either arrested or ticketed or fined for, well, not fined because they haven't been able to go to court, but ticketed mm -hmm. for that behavior and cars have been impounded. But if hundreds, if not thousands, as we heard in that clip, are on a stretch of the interstate, much like folks had concerns when protesters were blocking the interstate and those protesters were, some of them allegedly were arrested, so why not? And I don't know if y'all have the capacity to arrest thousands of people in one night, in one gathering. But where's the clear distinction here? Do you think spectators, those who gather, should be arrested? Well, if you are on a highway, uh, there are laws against being on the highway. And so uh, just as the protesters who were blocking the highway could be arrested, if law enforcement was able to catch someone and uh, be able to take them under arrest. Yes, uh, they can be and will be. Again, when you're talking about sheer numbers of people, I think you make it very difficult mm -hmm. uh, because even with the state patrol and the officers that respond, there's only so many people you can arrest. <laughs> Other people uh, get up and they take off and uh, you know they, they move on real quick. And so it's hard to, it's hard to really be able to arrest them. This is not just an Atlanta problem, as you mentioned. It's not just throughout other cities here in Georgia. This is throughout the nation. I mentioned Los Angeles. And I just want to make another point. Um, you know, while it is disruptive to people who are residents, um, this takes away a lot of resources. The 911 system, those operators are inundated with calls. Like I said, not just from one incident, but maybe four different incidents that are taking place across the city. Dispatchers are having to try to dispatch that information to the officers. Officers are having to go to respond to those when they can't respond to other calls of service that are taking place, which makes calls back up for service. And some people who may have an accident or someone had broken their house may have to wait hours uh, for an officer to arrive because they're busy responding to this. So this has a, a very disruptive um, attitude towards any public safety in the city. And if it's a movement to disrupt, um, they are being successful. But the city, as well as our police department, are working to disrupt them. Now we shall wait and see. President Moore, before I let you go, I do want to get your thoughts on former Atlanta CFO Jim Beard, who's been indicted on a lot of charges, including fraud, weapons charges. Obviously, he spent a bulk of his time with under the Reid administration and a little bit under Mayor Bottoms. Uh, yet again, another former city employee indicted on federal charges. What do you make of this? 
Well, you know, I think there's one one other indictment. I expect there will be others. This one is uh, really difficult because you have someone who is the chief financial officer, the one who has um, the signs the checks and has their hands on the city checkbook and the allegations are serious. A year ago, we were uh, told about some of these things taking place and I asked for an audit. I asked the auditor to conduct an audit and they're doing so. And it took a while to get it going, but we got it going and hopefully in the next month, month and a half, we should have some results. My concern is, you know, what internal controls perhaps have been overridden manually and um, who did it, how it was done, but more importantly, how do we make sure that doesn't happen again for future CFOs or people who are entrusted with our money? Under Mayor Bonner's administration, obviously there was a call for uh, revamping or reimagining in terms of ethics and compliance. It was something that you pushed for. How would you assess that now? Well, you know, I, I uh, authored and the council, Jennifer I was the lead sponsor on the compliance officer piece. And then she was also very instrumental as it was reimagined, so to speak, to become an inspector general with an office of compliance. That's going to be an independent agency. And right now, the Board of Independent, I mean, the Board of Inspector General, uh, they are looking at candidates and hopefully soon they, they will hire the Inspector General, which would in, in also hire the compliance officer. And then the independent procurement review officers that review our procurement that I authored, uh, Mr. Dickens was the sponsor on that. They will move over to that shop and hopefully they'll get up and running because we want to make sure none of this happens again. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to those hires sooner rather than later. And finally, speaking of hires, any word, any movement on Atlanta's next chief of police? Well, I do know the mayor had a press conference yesterday and she was asked that question and basically said that uh, right now was not a good time. She's been told to look for a police chief. And um, considering the fact that, uh, you know, she, she has an interim that is familiar with the police department, I believe that she's going to stick with um, interim chief Bryant until at least the end of the term and maybe later go out for a national search. Do you agree with that? It's not a good time to look for a police chief, given what's taking place in our nation? Is that? Well, I think that there may be some uh, validity to that. What's taking, you know, a lot of police chiefs are leaving. And the fact as well is last, next year is election year. And so it may be difficult uh, in a national search if you're going outside of the city to hire someone and, you know, they not have the stability of knowing if the mayor is going to be reelected, that kind of thing or if the mayor is going to run again. So, you know, at the end of a term, it makes it more difficult to hire those professionals. Are you going to run for mayor? I am not going to run for mayor unless there is an opportunity. You know, uh, all of us pretty much, you know, in the rumor mill, uh, I suspect that our mayor would be on the top of the list for uh, Joe Biden if he is successful in being president and perhaps may go to Washington and uh, be a part of his administration. And so in that vein, I am preparing uh, to be able to be mayor if in fact uh, our mayor does leave. And in that preparation, of course, I would also be thinking about uh, if I ran for mayor and being prepared for that. So that would be the uh, consideration that I would have to decide to run. How do you decide if you are ready to be mayor? Well, I'm ready uh, for that. That's for sure. I've had 20 plus years of being a veteran student of the city. And I certainly know where I believe that efforts need to be made and improvements need to be made. I'm sure there are things I don't know because I always try to find out and they won't tell me. So I'll, I'll certainly looking forward to being able to find out all the things about our city that I wasn't able to find out. Well, give me an well example. What you've been wanting to know? Able... Well, give me an example. What have you been wanting to know that you couldn't get answers to? Well, I mean, one of the things that I really, really want to be sure that I'm comfortable with um, 
is what is the city's financial uh, situation? Mm -hmm. You know, the council gets reports, but we don't really get that comprehensive view and we don't get the detail. As you know, I was the one that was always pushing for the transparency piece, Mm -hmm. putting expenditures online, being able to really kind of know more about where we are. Because I think if we don't start there to figure out what our financial positions are, we can find ourselves wanting to address issues and throwing money at it that we don't have. And in this COVID environment, we really need to be careful about how our money is spent. Atlanta City Council President Felicia Moore, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome anytime. Take care. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. 21st Century Leaders, it's a local nonprofit that's working to connect, as they say, inspire, and transform the next generation of leaders. Take a listen to this. Before 21st Century Leaders, I was extremely shy, and I can remember in the sixth grade, I ended up passing out from having to give a presentation. For 21st Century Leaders, I didn't have other students or really a network of students around me that were like-minded and driven like myself. This program has honestly taught me so much about what it takes to be a leader, a servant leader most importantly. If you push students and if you push young people and challenge them in the right ways, they can accomplish some amazing things. After 21st Century Leaders, I was had such confidence that I didn't before and it really inspired me to try to do new things because before I was always scared of failure. I am a 21st Century Leader. 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 Uh, that's from a group of high school students from across the state of Georgia and a 21st Century Leaders board member speaking about the impact of the organization. Now, this organization offers several programs, summits, and training throughout the year. And over the summer, 21st Century Leaders staff, well, they had to hold their annual Summer Leadership Institute virtually, obviously due to COVID-19. However, they were able to reach even more students this year than what the nonprofit initially planned for. And joining me now to talk more about the program is Kate Hewitt. She's the executive director for 21st Century Leaders. Isabella Cavaness, a youth ambassador for 21st Century Leaders. And Professor Jacques-Cory Cormier, a 21st Century Leader alum and volunteer. Kate, Isabella, and Dr. Jacques Cormier, thank you all for taking the time. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Isabella, quick question. How come you're not in class? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my school has a flex time. So Uh during that flex time, we have a free period. I also discussed with my teacher that I will be going into that time today. You told her you were going to be on NPR, and she said, no problem. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what she said. Let me stay with you for a second, Isabella, because it's your generation that, and I I do this with every generation, perhaps it's fair, not fair, maybe it is fair, it's warranted. Your generation, this 18 to 25 group, this movement, you all have been so instrumental in a lot of the rallies and protests this summer. What do you make of this moment we're in through your lens and how you see the role your generation can play in this? So what I like to say is that you should always use your voice. Every time, every chance you get, you should always use your outlet or a platform to speak about things that are going on in our society. And I feel like that the teens that have been doing this, they've been doing this so well. I've been seeing so many teenagers go out and protest and try to give back to their community where they see that it's due. Um, For me, I've done Being Black in America on Don Lemon's segment. And that's where I talked about um, my personal experience being black in America, well, being black and Latina. And it's something that's different. It's this experience that you have no idea like how, how terrible it can be at times and how mm-hmm. impactful it can be. So Kate, when you hear Isabella speak, when you hear what she just had to say, I imagine this is exactly what 
the core of your mission at 21st Century Leaders. Absolutely. You know, for 21st Century Leaders, we're really looking for um, a diverse uh, student body and diverse leaders and really empowering them to become leaders in their community schools and then ultimately the workforce. You know, really holding core values of our organization, which is being passionate, being forward thinking, leveraging diversity um, and being resourceful. And, you know, Isabella just really hit the mark on all of those. And you all have been around for a while. Take our listeners through the history of this organization, Kate. 21st Century Leaders was actually founded in 1989, really by a group of business professionals and leaders in the um, Atlanta community. And really because they saw two trends going on in the own workforce, which was um, a lack of managers, employees ready to take on leadership responsibilities uh, within their um, within their workforce. And the second was the lack of um, people able to, to cross racial and class barriers to really work together. And so they really identified that the best way to really overcome these challenges was to bring and train diverse groups of leaders at high school level, mm-hmm. providing them the guidance and the skills and the confidence needed to go out into their community schools and workforce um, to create change and, and be a diverse leaders in their workforce. So we've been around for now for 31 years and have served over 15,000 high school students from across the state. 60% of our students do come from Metro Atlanta and the surrounding 13 counties. Um, but we're really just so proud to have um, been such a core group within the state in Atlanta area for so many years and empowering students like Isabella and um, Dr. Dr. Corey Cormier to really lead um, um, the initiatives and, and the important work uh, that's needed in our in our communities and in the workforce. Well, let's get an old pro in here, as we say, Dr. Jacques Corey Cormier. You heard what Isabella had to say. You heard what Kate had to say. How did this organization, did it transform you at all? Yeah, so I was in 21st Century Leaders between 2003 to 05, and from 2010 to now, Every summer, I've always made time in my schedule to volunteer for the summer institutes and also some of the programming they have throughout the school year because they have programs throughout the school year. And I would say that it definitely helped cultivate my leadership skills, public speaking skills, and team, uh, my ability to work in teams. Though I've had opportunities in my community in DeKalb County to volunteer and to work in group settings, there were some things that have lasted with me till now as an adult uh, professor at Georgia State University. Some of the things that they talk about is servant leadership. And uh, a speech that uh, has always gone on is that just because someone has a title doesn't mean that they're the leader, quote unquote, because sometimes we follow those who don't have titles. And sometimes we begrudgingly do what the person with the title says just because they have a title. And that's that type of stuff always stuck with me. The, the, the lesson of when you're in a group setting, you notice that someone hasn't spoken, that means they've been listening the whole time. And you as a informal leader should reach out to that person and ask for their input. And time and time again, in many different settings, in the class setting, in the community setting, when you engage people who may not feel that they uh, their voice will have will matter all of a sudden they start contributing more right mm-hmm. when you ask well, what's your opinion and then you see that they get more hands-on and what's wonderful about 21st century leaders when we talk about diversity it's not just about ethnicity and race we have kids who have never been outside their county either their county is in metro atlanta mm-hmm. or they're uh, in rural settings and every summer i kid you not from day one to the last day these young people come in a little nervous, you know, uh, but I, I, I promise you at the end, these kids now have a perspective of how Georgians from different walks of life live, mm-hmm. even within the same state. And it really is a, a beautiful thing to see at the end of the week where young people are making and fostering these relationships from people who live, you know, 100 miles away. Kate, how are the students selected? And I imagine you get a lot of applications every year. We do. Really, uh, students can join um, and get accepted into 21st Century Leaders really in three different ways. One is our summer leadership institutes, which are application-based. And so students do have to apply 
fill out an application in January, um, go through an inter interview process in March, and then all of our volunteers um, actually read and score the applications and actually uh, do all of our interviews. And then if they're selected, then they attend our one-week summer residential programs and then have access to all of our programs throughout the school year. Uh, and then the other two ways is either they can um, join a school-based program, so a 21st century club at their participating high school, mm -hmm. uh, and join the organization that way and participate in the school year activities or enroll uh, within Leadership Connect, our online learning platform, which is a, a way for us to really scale the organization and reach more students across the state utilizing technology and understanding that transportation is a barrier for many and um, being able to um, have that um, access for them to, to have high impact, um, high level leadership training. And so really there's kind of three ways they can join. Isabella, what prompted you to want to join 21st Century Leaders? So what prompted me to join 21st Century Leaders is because I wanted to become um, an example for others as a leader and to help others in my community. Um, I, my background is I'm raised by my grandmother and that is something that is different from many other people. And mm -hmm. it was hard for me to come to terms with and I wanted to strive to be better and not become the stereotypical statistic that we have in society that will be deemed by. Um, and me joining 21st Century Leaders was a great opportunity for you to utilize my gifts and to share my story and to help others and to evolve in some way to change the community. And I've also developed a better um, understanding of oneself and who I am and how I can help others as well. As your grandmother said, you know what? I'm seeing something. I'm seeing some growth here. What did what'd your grandmother say? You know, grandmother's always um, got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother is very proud of me. She's always bragging about me on the phone. Um, I really love her and I feel like She's definitely my go-to for everything and my motivation to be the person that I am now and to be successful. Um, and I just want to express that I'm very grateful for 21st century leaders because they've helped me develop into such, a, I guess, powerful individual. And I'm so more confident in going into the workforce and then going to college. They have taught me so many different skills that I feel um, comfortable with and I am resilient. The voice you hear is Isabella Cavaness. She's a youth ambassador for 21st Century Leaders and a student at Westlake High School. I'm also joined by Kate Hewitt, who is the executive director for 21st Century Leaders, and Professor Jacques Corey Cormier. He's a 21st Century Leader alum and volunteer. Kate, you all have these, I guess what you would call core five leadership qualities. But before we get into that, when we talk about leadership, and it can come in different forms and different personalities, but how much are you also f focusing on letting young folks like Isabella grow into their own? Everyone will have a different leadership style. I mean, you look at some of the great leaders, whether it's from the civil rights movement, political industry, business, what have you, everyone has a different leadership style. So how do you get them to understand what, what works best for them? That is also very positive in a sense. Do you all just let them sort of evolve into that on their own? Or how do you work with them through that? Because they're so young still. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, leadership, does look different for everyone, right? And we firmly believe that everyone has the potential to be a great leader. It's not something that you're born with. It's something that's developed and grown into. And part of that growth and development really comes from um, the student body and the diverse student body that they're they're working with and you know and identifying with, but also the work um, and relationships and networks that they build with our volunteers and business professionals. You know, for us, we do have a mantra about leadership that. Mm -hmm. Leadership isn't about me, it's about you. Leadership isn't about you, it's about all those around you. And so really at the core of whatever that leadership style looks like, we feel like knowing and understanding that leadership really is about those around you, whether that's in a work setting or community setting, it's really that kind of servant leadership base. Um, you know, as Jack Corey mentioned, we talk about leadership isn't necessarily a title. It's not the loudest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes leaders may be the ones um, that are quiet and really listening. Um, and so we really just try to expose them to as many different kinds of leadership styles mm -hmm. um, that really there are and that people kind of embody and our volunteers embodying professionals and really allow them to see themselves in that professional or volunteer, see themselves and say, hey, I, I have those skills. This is what I'm passionate about. Um, I noticed that 
you know, they're talking about the same upbringing that I have, or they look like me and, you know, or they're not as, you know, vocal as I am. I'm really shy. How can I still be a leader, you know, in, in the workforce within the community? And so really it comes down to exposing them to, um, you know, as much as we can in terms of our professionals, as, as well as career opportunities, organizations um, that are doing good work in the community. And so absolutely leadership style comes in all forms and really just empowering them and building, as Isabella said, the confidence in themselves to really recognize that they are a leader. Professor, what questions do the students have for you? Or what are those conversations like that you have with them that, that are pretty typical? I think uh, Kate mentioned it in the sense of, hey, I'm shy because we, uh, the organization is led by the students. So we have students who introduce our professional guests and thank them. And we have a, during the Summer Institute fancy dinner. So they are, have a lot of speaking roles and we volunteer them for it. And sometimes it's, we have kids who are ready to go speak to the United Nations and we got kids who are, you know, just too shy to do it, but we don't care about that when we ask them to do these things. And they sometimes will ask, why me? And, you know, some of the responses I would give is, why not you? And I would tell them uh, when I've been summer director that if you're not the best speaker, then choose this opportunity to speak now, because this is a very low stakes environment. Everyone is supportive. And I mean that truly. I've seen the kids clap for uh, a student who was shaking while speaking in front of the, the, the group. And, and everyone understood that this person was deadly afraid of, of speaking in, uh, in public. And then also, I think they ask about failure because for some of our students, their parents are like, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, or nothing. Either you get the A or you fail. And sometimes when our guests tell them that failure is good, they react like it's the first time they've heard that. Uh, because some, some of these parents, you know, put a lot of pressure on, on their, their kids. And I, I think what they really ask is, you know, how do I get interested? How do I get involved in the things I'm interested in? How can I learn more? Mm -hmm. And that's where our professional volunteers and our, our summer staff who are also alumni of the program, we get involved. So we have people who are currently in college and uh, people who are professionals who volunteer. And we tell them about our stories and tell them that it wasn't always a clear cut path. <laughs> or even when it started off clear cut, we realized quickly that that might not have been what we wanted to do. And so I, I think some of those questions come from the anxiety of the future, uh, but also uh, sort of questioning why they're being pushed to, to step outside their boxes but they appreciate it nonetheless. And be comfortable being uncomfortable is what we always tell them. I've heard that since I was a little girl as well. <laughs> Isabella, when you hear what Kate and Professor Jacques Corey, when they talk about the mission and the vision of the organization and what it's done for you, and you talked about that earlier in this segment. So my question for you now is moving forward, You know, what are you hoping to do with this opportunity, this leadership opportunity that you've been involved in? So what I'm planning on doing is starting my own mental health collaborative workshop. So where I will talk to a group of teens about different mental health issues and kind of um, bring awareness to those things because we're currently in a time where a lot of people are going through different things and their emotions are running wild. Um, and to ease that stress, I feel like by building this workshop, it could help be a safe and protective space for teens. And that is definitely imperative and something that we truly need at this time. And Isabella, let me ask you this. Do you think as, because we're old, let's just be really clear, I'm old. <laughs> what are we missing in terms of folks like me, our generation, what are we missing in terms of reaching out to your generation and understanding some of the concerns that you all have? I mean, we have those those typical issues that we always talk about in terms of, you know, uh, bullying or, or what have you and, and things like that. But are we missing something? What's the disconnect here, you think, with, with my generation and your generation? That maybe we're just we're not hearing or we're just getting it wrong. I feel like that's something that's been missing and there has been a lack of connection in is, I guess, um, 
the stereotype that we're not, that we're only just on social media, that we're not trying to um, raise awareness in our community. We're just like, we're just ranting and we're just these terrible teenagers, we're bad. And I feel like we kind of need to get rid of that certain bias and start realizing that teenagers are trying to come in, teenagers are trying to help and they're trying to do better. And um, I think if we can end that, then there'll be way more like better conversations within teens and adults. And I think as a former teenager, Kate and Jacques Corey and I can both say we all been there too. <laughs> Absolutely. As we wrap up, I want to go around and just get you all's thoughts in terms of this nation. And we started the conversation about the moment that we're in, the space that we're in. And what do you hope comes out of this as a nation in terms of our next group of leaders? What do you hope that they take away from this moment that we're in? Obviously, it's a very heavy political season politics and then the the protest the public calls for social justice what do y'all hope comes out of this and that the next wave of of leaders will be able to maybe make it a little bit better and in the future and uh, kate i'll start with you yeah i think for for us um and for me personally and just as for 21st century leaders you know really leadership and being a leader is is doing what is right um it may not be the most popular thing at the time um and it may not be something that people necessarily agree with you, but at the end of the day, um, leadership is is really, and being a leader is about doing what's what's right um, at that time. And so, you know, for us um, and for me, firmly believe that, you know, a big part of leadership is having diverse leadership. I mean, I think that's really important in diversity in all forms um, of thoughts and opinions and really leveraging that. You know, I for 21st century leaders and for us, it's always been, that's always been at the core and mission of our organization for 31 years. Um, and so I think we've been just so relevant in this conversation and empowering students to um, really to really run with that and embed that into their own um, personal um, life um, and community. And I just really hope that more organizations and companies really value that diversity, inclusion and equity, to be quite honest, mm -hmm. um, for us, we talk about equity, I mean, all of our programs come at little to no cost and we never turn away a student for their inability to pay if there is a fee. And so, you know, you, you have to not just talk about it, you have to be about it and you have to be action oriented. Um, and so really, really showing the students that, um, you know, that they have to be taking action in their own community in their own life to see that change. Um, you know, sometimes leadership it's not something that you're called upon. It's something you have to step into. Um, and when you're seeing that opportunity to be a leader for a cause or initiative to create change, especially with all that's going on right now, um, you really just have to get out of your comfort zone, um, use the skills and abilities that you have and really just step forward. Um, and as Dr. Corey mentioned, not, don't be afraid to fail because mm -hmm. you probably will but you get back up again. And as a leader, you keep moving forward. And so I think um, for me, that's what I would love to see and, and continue to see. Before I get to Jacques, Corey and Isabella, Kate, you mentioned the fees. Are y'all able to help students if they need assistance or their scholarships or do y'all have funders that can come in and put up if needed? Absolutely. Um, you know, half of what we have four one week summer residential programs and two of those are completely free um, to our students to attend. Um, and that is because of the generous support of our corporate donors, Warner Media and Georgia Power Foundation. Um, they completely support that. And our other two um, summer institutes, they have a small fee. But again, as I mentioned, we never turn away a student with an inability to pay. So um, we just work with them and, and offer financial aid and really rely on our corporate donors and partners and, and board members and individual supporters to help that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for us, it's important to make sure every single student, um, regardless of where they come from or their socioeconomic status, that they have access to high level, high impact leadership training. Professor Jacques Corey, let's talk about what do you hope comes out of this moment that we're in in terms of our next wave of leaders? Like Isabella spoke about the reality that action is action, be it at 18 or 88. I hope that not only from the academic studies of current leadership, but uh, from the larger social and pop culture context, that we are reminded that leadership isn't about just about grand speeches 
and telling people what to do. Leadership should include emotional intelligence, uh, awareness of emotional intelligence, of cultural intelligence, and understanding that you have to model the way for what you want to see people do. Mm -hmm. You can get a lot more done by quietly acting and then people seeing that action and following pursuit than to try to tell people what to do and to sort of gloss over some of the nuances of reality. And so I think that as leaders, everyone should be able to recognize that there is a leader within themselves. And being a leader starts off by making that action. That action could be the actual task at hand, or it could be the awareness of other people around you and being considerate of them. 21st century leaders also talks about three C's, cooperation, mm -hmm. compassion, and communication. If you have those, it's very difficult to fail as a leader. Isabella, what about you? Because you are part of that next wave of leaders, your generation. What are you taking away from this moment? So what I'm taking away from this moment is that I have to be active. I have to be doing something. I can't remain complacent and stagnant in one place. There's some things that need to be done in our community, and I see that there needs to be change. And I think that one thing 21st century leaders made um, really aware to us is when they had those speakers. One of the speakers that really stood out to me was Mr. Dennis Williams. And he talked about um, us reading a poem and the poem was, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And this mm -hmm. is a poem by Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. And the metaphorical bird is confined into one space and he is only singing about what he's oblivious to. And I have the freedom and I have the access, I have the platform to talk about um, things that need change. So that being said, I'm going to use it. And I hope that the leaders, um, the up and coming leaders of this generation try to use and amplify their voice as much as possible, because there's a lot of progress that needs to be made. And um, I hope that I can also contribute to that as well. Isabella Cavaness, a youth ambassador for the 21st Century Leaders. We also heard from Kate Hewitt, the executive director for 21st Century Leaders, and also Professor Jacques Corey Cormier, a 21st Century Leader alum and volunteer. Thank you all for taking the time to talk about your organization. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you, Isabella. Thank you. You have a nice day. And tell grandmother we said hello. Okay, I will. Y'all right, take care. Thank you so much, Rose. We appreciate it. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's Choice for NPR, I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.